want you to know what he's doing right now is what I call fifth commandment kind of stuff. Quick test. What's the fifth commandment? When you feel that things are coming together because there is inspiration that falls on more than just you, you know that the Spirit of God is in charge. As I put my thoughts together this morning, half of them have already been stolen. We're going to get back to that text in a moment. But I saw bits and pieces of the preparation of this service, and I guess I forgot that they were going to read that. But God knew that it needed to be read at the beginning because it sets the stage for today and the opportunity that we have to proclaim to the world once again that we are fools for Christ. The world does not understand. They have different measurements. I was outside talking this morning and was reminded we were talking about actually solar energy. And we're talking about the fact that the sun means that we have a seven-day week. Yes, the French gave us the metric system. They even tried to give us a 10-day week. Anyone going to say, no, I'm only going to work five days, maybe six. But no, the French in the French Revolution tried to give us a 10-day week. I don't know if that meant working for 10 days without a break, but they certainly didn't have a Sabbath in mind. But God had a Sabbath in mind when he created this world in six, six days and then rested on the seventh when he created, I believe, he created the Sabbath as a wedding gift, yes, for Adam and Eve. When do you, when do you believe that the Sabbath begins? So what happened just before that? Adam and Eve were married. And God said, as my gift to you, your first moments together will be on me. It is a privilege, I want you to know. It is a privilege to worship with you here today. We worship the Creator God. We worship the God who made the sun, who rose again today and is risen again on an entire world whose allegiance to God has gone awry. And he has asked us, amazingly, I, 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 always, you know, I always think that it's amazing that he has asked each and every one of us and so many millions more amongst the billions there are yet millions who have not bowed the knee to the evil kingdom of this world. About 160, 70 years ago, right, God called a, a small group of people together and he said, I've got a mission for you. 
They were stumbling and bumbling, even in their precision of figuring out that Jesus was supposed to come back in 1844. October 22 came and went, my friends. And so here we are on a Sabbath morning as the inheritors of a group of people who believed that Jesus was going to come back very soon and that he was doing this because he wanted to take back people who were wanting to be with him forever and ever. Well, as you can tell, we're still here. And yet, by the power of God and by his strength, we still call ourselves Adventists. Now, each of us probably has a feeling when that word is used. And so, as you have been in this place as long as you have been, you have been other places, as you could tell me and everyone here exactly when it was that you decided to be an Adventist, I could probably tell you that myself, even though I was raised an Adventist, in an Adventist family, I too had to come to that moment when I decided personally that Jesus, Jesus was right. Jesus was, was for me. Jesus was going to come back for me. Now I want you to know in, 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 in 30 years of doing this pastoral thing, I've learned a thing or two and also I have come to the, the, the startling conclusion that, I don't know, maybe you're going to want to make that, that petition real. <laughs> Jesus wants to save everybody. Amen. And that's what John 3.16 says. He wants to save everybody and he has called, is calling Anyone who would like to participate in this mission, Jesus is calling them to participate. Yes. And he has promised that you don't have to take a gift's inventory in order to know what he wants you to do. His spirit will tell you what he wants you to do. And then he has promised not only will he give you the right words to speak in the relationships that you will form, but he will give you the tools that are necessary to carry out the mission that he sends us on. I, 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 I've learned some things recently, and by recently I mean probably in the last five years, that lead me to believe that the disciples of Jesus were idiots. They were fools. They were on their own agenda. Jesus, for them, was going to be the next king of Israel. Ask me how I know. Go ahead, ask me. <laughs> Acts chapter 1, verse 6. My friends, this has been now seared into my brain. Anytime I want to think that I know a thing or two or that I'm cool because I'm an Adventist, 
every time I, I, I get to that point in my little prideful journey, I remember Acts chapter 6. Acts, Acts chapter 1 verse 6. And it says this. This is, this is the moment, folks. Jesus has he's arisen. He has been with his disciples for 40 days. He's about to leave on a cloud made up of angels, Ellen White says, and be ushered into the presence of, of his father and be given back the scepter, the, the diadem that we sing about. They have one last chance to ask the God of the universe anything that they want. Anything. Now be careful before you get too judgmental. I, I've, I have ceased to judge them. Because I'm as much an April fool as they were. When will you make Israel great again? Been with him three and a half years. They have one last chance to ask the God of the universe anything they want, and all they want to know is if the Raiders are going to win. <laughs> Come on now. Don't, don't hate me because I was a Seahawks fan. I just like their quarterback. I think he's one of the most Christian men playing football today. You notice how he always takes a knee when he talks to his guy? If I don't take a knee, remind me of that. Because that's my intention is to be like that quarterback. One last chance to ask God anything you could ask him and all you want to know is are you on our team and are you going to make it win? So I'm, I'm, I'm bringing you to this moment because I want you to realize that I have been on the Adventist team for all my life. First by birth, then by the fact that my daddy was a preacher and my daddy's daddy was a preacher. And you could think, oh, that's wonderful. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I'll tell you about that sometime. But then I decided to follow Jesus for myself and I started off on a pastoral journey that has brought me to this place at this time. And, and, and I want to tell you that I love my church. I love the Seventh-day Adventist church. I am seriously worried about the church right now. And I'm seriously worried that we are very much like the disciples that spent time with the very creator God we call Jesus in person and still only had that rather private, rather selfish question to ask him at the end of three and a half years. Yo! <laughs> when is Israel going to be great again like it was in the days of David and Solomon? That's what we want. In fact, we wanted Judas to be on our team because he had connections. You see, he had connections. And Judas, you know, that little plan that he had, it was all hatched. I mean, we've just gone through politics, right? We've just gone through a political season. We know about the funny stuff that goes on, whether or not the Russians are involved and all that kind of stuff. We know. And Judas was just like that. 
And that's why he took the money from the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, because he wanted to push Jesus. He was politically manipulating Jesus into becoming the superstar that he wanted him to become. And when he realized what he had done and that Jesus truly was the Passover lamb while he is sitting at table with the Son of God. Jesus picks up that bread and says, do what you have to do. Quickly. Because by now, Jesus had been following his father day by day, step by step, following the plan that they had outlined together before the earth was made. Which is why I, you'll commonly hear me say that I believe Jesus is the plan. Amen. You know that guy on TV that used to call himself the situation? Jesus is the plan. He is the plan to save his children. And every human that draws breath on this planet is one of his children. He made them. He is their creator. And he came so that we can be cognizant, if necessary, maybe slightly knowing, if you're a Romans chapter 1 Christian, if you're a God follower because you see his works in nature, he came for everybody. So I'm hoping, I'm really hoping that we will be those kinds of people that say to ourselves, what on earth is God doing? And mean every single one of those words. And not just, oh my goodness, what is God? No. What is God doing? Next question is like unto it. Is our congregation, I'm going to make this very personal because this is where I'm at. I hope this is where you are. And if not, then maybe we need to look at scripture. But I'm hoping that we can ask ourselves, is what we are, is what we are doing helpful to God? Because he's got one plan. He's got one thing that he is doing, and that is getting a hold of the attention of every single human being that he can possibly get a hold of. Sometimes he does it with beautiful things. Sometimes he does it with painful things. Going through life, thinking that everything's fine. You know these people. These people are in your family. Maybe they're you. And suddenly you get the news. Breast cancer. Oh, my goodness. And you think, why has this happened to me? God, why aren't you... You're living on planet Earth. You are in chaos. There is a God in heaven who has sent Jesus to provide a plan of escape. Yesterday, two days ago, not Friday, but yesterday, I did a funeral for Woody. Woody didn't know that his entire body was riddled with aneurysms as a genetic defect. 
And yes, they fixed the one coming out of his heart. Yes, they did that at Stanford. Then they fixed the next one. But they told him, one of these is going to get you. And it's not going to be long. And it wasn't. Woody's journey ended on a, on a Sunday morning after he spent the Sabbath with his wife. He was back in hospital. And yes, those of you who don't understand an aneurysm, think of a hose pipe with bubbles in it. And you know, the wall of the hose pipe gets thin, and then one of those bubbles bursts. That's an aneurysm, and those are your blood vessels. He had them all throughout his body. He didn't know. Now his family knows, and they're getting checked to see whether any one of them have that genetic malformation in their body. But you know what? Woody was a man who loved loving on people. All his life, most of his career, he was a mechanic. Get this, a mechanic in a bowling alley. Yep. You get that ball, you bowl it down there, you expect that that machine down at the end there is going to set the pins back up and, and, and that your bowling ball is going to come back to you, right? Well, there are machines that do that, and they break. Somebody's got to be there to fix it, and for almost 40 years, that's what he did. Made sure that the bowling balls came back and that the pins got set back up. You would say, oh my goodness, what, really? But yeah, he, he then extended, by, and I know this because of the testimony that happened at his funeral, a lady stood up and for 10 minutes she talked about how Woody drew people in around him, young people who had no purpose in life, drew people in around him and gave them a purpose, gave them a love for bowling and a love for being together with him. He, he was a father to some of these kids when their parents were not around to be seen. He, he extended, in my book, he extended the love of God, the Father, to these lost children. No. <laughs> Would he smoke and drink? And, and uh, <laughs> that was one of the first things he wanted to do when he came out of his first surgery. He wanted to have a cigarette. Of course, he couldn't there in Stanford. And his wife, you know, good, good Christian lady, good church going, she wanted to, you know, keep him off the cigarettes as long as possible. I don't think he ever went back to them, but he certainly <coughs> never lost the desire. How, how do I feel about that when, you know, the Adventist church has made such a big thing about cigarette smoking? We should think about that. Is that the determining factor? as to whether or not God loves somebody? No. Is Jesus interested in the woodies of the world? Yes. Does, his, does his love shine through the people of, like the woodies of the world? Yes. I'm saying yes. So this is why, my friends, this is why I'm, I'm challenging us all this morning. I'm going to say this. As a Seventh-day Adventist people, what I am interested in knowing is, are we being helpful to God? 
Now that's, that may be a new concept for you. But what I'm seeing in the first angel's message that we have been saying is our message for a long time is, say it with me, fear God. Which God? Because he tells you right there. The God who made heaven and earth. The creator God. Do you know that makes me, makes me really happy because I've got lots of First Nation friends up in Canada that would be Native Americans to you. You can talk to them, even though they have been hammered by the church. You can talk to them about the Creator. Because before contact, you understand that, right? Before the white man, they worship the Creator. So I think to myself, as an Adventist, I'm interested in the Creator God. That's why, we were talk- that's why we were talking solar power out front. We've got solar on top of this church. We should be, as an Adventist people, as a creator-oriented people, we should be interested in the environment. Do you remember the first two commandments God gave to the human race that he gave to Adam and Eve? What did he say? Come on now, the Santanas know this one. Be fruitful and multiply and... What's the second one? Take care. Take care of the earth. And you thought I was going for the Ten Commandments. No. In creation, in creation, God said, this is your world. I'm giving it to you to take care of. So should Advent-oriented people be interested in taking care of the earth? Absolutely. And specifically because we worship on Sabbath, the memorial to our Creator God. It fits, my friend, and it gives me an in with people who don't even believe in God, but are interested in saving the environment. Should we help them save the whales? Absolutely. Why? Well, they think they're evolutionary giants in the ocean. I know that my God created them. And I have a a, a fiduciary, love that word, I I have a big responsibility to worship my God by taking care of his creation. Today is April Fool's, and yes, I had a fool, I I had a joke too. It was going to be on Greg. <laughs> I hear, I hear that, <clears throat> I, I hear that Santa Clarita has a lot of <clears throat> LA County boys that that live here. I, I was going to try to find one and convince him to come in here in the middle of the service and ask from the back whether, you know, there was a Greg Honus in attendance. <laughs> I don't know. These days, we can expect the unexpected, can't we? I mean, the, the situation that America is in today, the situation that Santa Clarita is in today, is unprecedented. Where will we go from here? I can promise you that, that like the story this morning, um, we need to build on the rock. 
Okay? Please help me if you feel that I am not building, I am not leading upon the rock that is known as Jesus Christ, then please, please let me know. If you see the sand coming up with what we're doing, let me know because I don't know if you've seen those experiments on YouTube when they, when they put sand uh, in, a, in an earthquake situation and, 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 and the sand literally becomes liquid. That's why the house fell, because there was nothing solid. We need to be on the rock, and believe me, I know my Matthew 16. And I'm hoping that you know the Matthew 16 that I know, because it says, upon this rock, what? I will build my church now. Oftentimes, that's where we get stopped, because we start thinking about other things and other people's interpretations of that particular part of the text. But I want to go on to the second half of that text, which says what? Oh, you get 10 points, brother. 10 points. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, that's reflexive, so what's the it? Okay, so now I get to ask my most dastardly question. You ready? Where should the church be found today? Come on now, think of that text. It's a little mind teaser for you. Let's say it again. The gates of hell will not prevail. There's the key word. The gates of hell will not prevail, will not stand up to the church. So I'm going to use football terminology. It's fourth down, folks. And we're on the line. Now there is a gate against. But Jesus has just promised that if we build our lives, if we build this church that is his on him, when the ball is hiked and the church pushes against the gates of hell, wherever they find them in their community, in their own lives, in the lives of their friends and relatives, when they push against the gates of hell, those gates are going to fall down. I don't know if you've ever realized that, but that text is being set up with how Jesus says it. It's not Peter, it's him. When you build your life on Jesus Christ, he gives you the power to go into hell. I'm just asking, are you ready? Are you ready to go with Jesus into the hell of the lives of people in your world? Because that's what he has promised, that he will give us the power to do. Let's, let's just bring in Matthew 25 really quickly, the sheep and the goats, remember? Clothing, what else? Food. I saw it happening here in Santa Clarita last night. A lady down by the river with bags of groceries and she was handing out food and she was eating with people who I am suspecting were living under that bridge. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was hungry, you fed me. When I was in jail, you visited me. Now, let's, let's just be real, folks. 
America is in a debt crisis like never before. There are people sitting right here who are in jail financially. Does God want you to visit them? Does he want you to bring Dave Ramsey to help them? How many of you know? Raise your hand if you've ever heard of Dave Ramsey. Very good. If you've heard of Dave Ramsey, then you're on at least onto the right track in North America today. He is a man who believes in God and believes that we should be financially in a place where God can then use us to turn around and be able to do what he's talking about in Matthew 25. Be able to help God rather than being the ones who are in need because we are financially in jail. Now we could talk about all kinds of other things, but I'm just going to say, suffice it to say today, on the 1st of April, 2017, that I am... I'm convinced that Jesus is coming soon. Jesus is looking for people to help him in this part of Earth's existence. He wants help. He, he would like it. Now, I'm not going to be part of those people who say he has to have it. There are people, maybe you're some of them, we want to say that he has to have our help, otherwise he cannot get the work done. Let me ask you this. When the Israelites didn't do their work, did God quit? No. He took it away from them and he gave it to other people. So when I see that in scripture, I say to myself, if I want a piece of the action all I have to do is ask. God, what do you want me to do? You're busy. Isn't that what he told his mama? When she came looking for him in, in the temple? Don't you want me to be about my father's business? And you know what? He has never stopped being about his father's business. The question is... Do you want to be part of the family business? That's what the Seventh-day Adventist church decided that they needed to be a part of. And they have been telling people for over 150 years, Jesus is coming soon, get ready. And I'm going to say, my version of that is going to be, guess what? When you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior from sin and Please, don't leave here today without doing that. Please, accept what he has to offer. Accept his invitation to be part of his family. Because when you do, your eternal life... Finish it for me. What happens? What happens? When you... No, no, no. When you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior from sin, what begins at that moment... Your eternal life begins. Okay, so raise your hand. This is a test. How many of you have accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? Okay. Okay. So then I get to ask one of my favorite questions. So, how is your eternal life gone? Had you ever thought about it? But here we are worshiping on a Sabbath. And if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, this is part of...
your eternal life. This is it. I use Star Wars terminology. This is episode one. There aren't any prequels because you didn't have another life before now. Okay? This is episode one of your eternal life. Do we not believe that? Maybe we just forget about it. Maybe, maybe we just don't realize that that is what Jesus offers us when we accept him and have this personal... Our name is transferred into the book of life. It's now, folks. This is it. And, and really, the only question is, are you going to join Jesus in looking out for other people who also then can be invited to make that decision that will change the trajectory of their lives? So that they won't be a sudden cutoff, but there will be an eternity that may be separated, like with Woody. Yes, Woody bled out. That's what happened to him. The aneurysm burst. And he just went to sleep because his blood drained out of him. We could all, I know this sounds morbid, but we could all wish for such a, a calm death. Yes, we live in the valley of the shadow of death, my friends. We live here. Now, death is a reality every day. Our lives hang by a thread. And yes, God decided to raise you up this morning. And he also raised up the criminals. And he also raised up those who don't believe in him. Because he loves them and he wants them to have the opportunity to get to know him so that they too can make a decision to follow him, so that they too can be in the clouds of glory. My grandfather used to say he is going to send the angels like paratroopers to rescue us. He was going to preach that sermon again in Pawpaw, Michigan. He left Andrews University and he told his wife to stay home because he'd been given a dream the night before. And on the way, there was a young lady. You know those old tank cars that used to be on the road that had the bench seat in the front? She was trying to adjust that seat while she was driving along at 70 miles an hour. She lost control, came across the median and struck my grandfather in the A-pillar right there. He was killed instantly in that huge, big Pontiac tank that he drove. On the way to preach about Jesus' second coming. The next thing he will know is those paratroopers. Now, the question is, how many people do you love? How many people do you really love? Because that's the love that God puts inside of you. And, and when you say, I don't want to go to heaven if they're not going to be there. That's when you know. I got family. Mm. I got family like that. Do you have family like that? Helping my brother this last week. Jason, if you're watching this, that's cool. It's tough. 
It's tough to live these days. You need money. You don't got money, you have to live under a bridge. Do we care? Do we care? Do we, do we see these people that are our flesh and blood? Are we going to just let them hang? Or are we going to, to be more interested in what God is doing? And when we see what God is doing with these people, are we going to be interested in going and doing that stuff that God is doing? I mean, I don't care whether it's anybody. I, I really don't care who's doing God's work today, really. And I, I know that might be painful for some of you to hear. But if the Seventh-day Adventist Church doesn't have a brand in that particular ministry, I don't care. If, if, it's going to, if it's helping God to rescue people in this world, I'm there. I'm interested. We can't all do everything. I understand that. But God is calling us. He's calling me. I don't know. It's the call on my life. I don't know what the call is on your life. I don't know where you guys are. I'm going to get to know you, I hope. As much as you want. Or as little as you want. And together we'll have an opportunity to be influential. Raise your hand if you think that you can change anything about your life. Wow. You all are pretty, pretty brazen. Tell me something that you actually, you yourself, changed about your life. And I'll, I might have to give you ten bucks. <laughs> Because I'm going to tell you right now, I haven't been able to change anything about my life. It has been the power of Jesus Christ. That is the only power that has been able to keep me together in this chaotic world. With the stuff that's happened in my life recently, the only thing that holds me together is Jesus. So I'm here because of him. I'm together with that woman right there. 31 years. Because of him. Because everything about this world right now wants, wants to, to destroy. Wants to destroy and to steal and, 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 and to, to take away your inheritance. My inheritance. That's what, that's what the devil wants to do. Do you realize that when Jesus rose from the grave, he became the king. He is the king. When we stand and we sing to him on Sabbath morning, do you realize you are singing to the king of the universe? You are, you are thanking him because he has raised you up, because he has made you who you are, because he's given you life again today. He is the king. That is why the scriptures say, the devil knows that his time is short. Because friends, he's done for. Now, he's going to try again this week. He's going to try to win you over. He's going to try to win me over again this week. He's going to try. He's going to say this and this and this. You've got to do this and this and this, you know, in order to, to get ahead. And I'm going to say to you, in that moment, cry out to Jesus and say, Jesus, please, show me what it means to really live in this world today. To really be on your team, to really be pushing your kingdom forward. Show me what that is. Please. You see, because that story we heard this morning, 
if, if we are not building on the rock, my friends, we are building on sand. And this earth is going to shake. Saturday night is the time for cheesy disaster movies. No, we're not showing one here tonight. But it is a genre that my wife and I like sometimes. And there is a movie called 2012. You remember when they were saying, oh, 2012, the Aztec calendar. And basically it's a humanistic view of how the world might end. But what I like about it is that there is a great earthquake. It's very biblical. Things move around. And I like the very end, this is a spoiler alert. There are three ships, arcs. Sorry, this is Hollywood, and I'm saying to the people in Hollywood, you couldn't think of anything better? I mean, had to come up with a biblical story. They had to use a biblical getaway. Three arcs. And that old song, if, you know, if religion were a thing that money could buy, the rich would live and the poor would die. That's how it happened. You bought your way onto that ark, and so the rich lived, and most of the poor died. Crazy thing for me, being from South Africa, originally born there, came to America when I was four. Crazy thing, the ships are sailing away into the sunset, and they are now being told that the highest mountains in the world are not the Himalayas anymore, because those tectonic plates have moved. Those have shifted. They've moved, they've flattened down, and you see the water of the huge tsunamis coming over the tops of the Himalayas. You get my, you get my feeling? This world is going to end, folks. I don't know how, I don't know when. But stuff like that is going to happen. The Bible says that it is. And these ships are sailing off into the distance to start humanity over, I guess, and the tallest mountains are in my home country of South Africa, the Drakensberg Mountains. I thought it was most ironic. Everything shifts. Everything becomes like sand. If you're not building upon the rock, it's all going to go away, and your life will be for nothing. I, I, I don't wish that for anyone. I really, really don't. But I've got some huge, Jesus has some huge competition from the devil, and he's a spoiler, by the way. That's all he's doing. He is a spoiler because he knows that you have a chance that he doesn't have anymore. He is a spoiler. He wants you to come with him, and he knows he's going down, and, and he wants you to come with him. So, don't give him the satisfaction this week, please. Hang on to Jesus. Listen to him. Uh, ask him what he wants you to say when you meet that person at work. Ask him what, what, what it is that might be a special mission. Maybe you just need to say yes because you have been asked repeatedly by the God of creation to do this thing and you've been like Jonah and you've been saying no. Maybe you just need to say yes. I don't know what it is for you. Sometimes I don't know what it is for me. Because God has to show... Remember the Lord's Prayer? 
What does it say? Give us today our weekly, monthly. Oh, God, I need an 18-month calendar, please. Daily. He's not going to tell you about tomorrow, so don't even ask. Sorry. He's not. I've learned that very recently, and I'm learning it again. He's not going to tell you about tomorrow. He will give you what you need today. And then tomorrow, when tomorrow comes. God bless you all. It will be my honor to hang out with you whenever you want. It will be my privilege to open the word of God with you when that occasion comes. And I invite you to do the same with me. I am just a pilgrim like you are in this world. And we can follow Jesus together. Amen.